You're on Intune here on SAFM. I'm Naledi Moleo, focusing on young people. Joined now on the line by Dr. Nick Paul Spall. Dr. Nick Spall, who's an education researcher in the economics department that's at the Stellenbosch University. Doctor, good, good afternoon. Welcome to Intune. Hi, yes. Thanks for having me, Naledi. Happy New Year. We have to do that until the 31st. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> when do we stop saying it? On the 31st at midnight. That's what I've decided. Uh, okay. <laughs> then we can stop doing that. Listen, it's good to have you on the show, although this isn't a very diff- a very easy discussion to have, right? Um, I talked about 26,000 applications at um, UCT and only 4,200 spaces available. What's what's the situation looking like at Stellenbosch? Um, so we actually, the, the situation at Stellenbosch is even worse than that because I think a lot of the... Uh, the students that might have applied to go to UCT have now also applied to come to Stellenbosch because Stellenbosch is starting on the 1st of February, whereas UCT is only starting in March after yeah. their mini-semester. Mm. Uh, so many of the students that don't want to wait until March to register the first years are coming to Stellenbosch. So there's been a, a, a massive increase in um, interest and in applications uh, for first-year studies at Stellenbosch. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're tweeting pictures of, of students lining up outside the universities to try and get space. And it's, you know, it's, it's a massive number. What does it look like nationally? So nationally, um, we know that uh, there are many more students that are getting bachelor passes now than in the past. So mm. if we look at 2009, you had roughly 100,000 students that were graduating with bachelor's passes. Uh, whereas in the last kind of two, three years, that we're talking about numbers of upwards of 160,000. Mm-hmm. And then the expansion in higher education in, in terms of spaces at the university, it's only expanded by about 5% between 2009 and 2014 mm. uh, in terms of enrollment. So now you can imagine that many more students graduating with a bachelor's pass that think they're going to have access to university, and the universities are just saying, you know, we can't expand as quickly as the number of bachelor passes uh, that the schooling system is generating. So we are in a bit of a bind, uh, and I think we're just getting many more students that are, are not being offered places at university, even though the university system is expanding. Yeah. Um, the TVET system has expanded quite rapidly, much more, much faster than uh, the university system. So that's the, the colleges and uh, vocational training uh, centers. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably what we want. We want a system where there are more opportunities than just the university or nothing type system. Yeah, so... TVET colleges are expanding, but are young people applying to TVET colleges in, in, in the numbers that are as, you know, as big as they're doing for universities? Um, they are. So the, the TVET system is only slightly smaller than the university system now, mm. uh, which is strange because we, uh, it, it's weird that we have a top-heavy system. If you think of the top as being the university, the middle as being a kind of TVET um, college, uh, the vocational and, and technical training colleges. Mm. Um, it's strange for a country like South Africa that does have uh, a large number of students that don't have uh, high levels of qualifications coming out of the schooling system that our TVET system is so small. Mm. And I think that the Department of Higher Education and Training has identified this as something that we need to work on and train and give more resources and time um, and effort into increasing the quality of the TVET system. Because as you say, if you're a student and you've got an option between going to university or going to a TVET college, you'll almost always choose to go to a university. Yeah, but what, what do we, you see, this is the thing, right? Is that we, we have this conversation every year about the different options that are available to young people. But I think it's also because 
maybe we just haven't made the TVID colleges look as appealing mm. to young people. Now, I'm I'm trying to figure out how we do that, right? We how do you how do you sexify a TVID college to an 18 year old that you know has the big dreams of of going to the prestigious institutions like the UCTs and the Stellenbosches? Yeah, I think that it's not just a perception problem. I think perceptions play, play a role. Mm. Um, but I do think that there's also an underlying uh, understanding that the universities have more funding. Um, your prospect for getting a job, if you get a degree from a university, you're likely to earn a lot more than if you get a TVET qualification. Um, so it's not as if it's all just smoke and mirrors, uh, which is the reason why people don't want to go to TVET colleges. There are a lot of very low-quality uh, TVET colleges that students can get access to um, in the same way as there are some universities that, that are, the, the courses that they offer are not um, as rigorous and deployable yeah. uh, as other universities. You have the same system uh, with the TVET colleges, probably even worse with TVET, where some, I mean, I've, I've seen TVET colleges where you have throughput rates of 5%. So that's of 100 kids that enter the TVET college, only five of them actually graduate mm. uh, within five years. So it's not as if it's only a perception problem. There really is an underlying quality issue that needs to be addressed. And that's why I say we need more resources. We need uh, some political will to be expended on saying we will increase the quality uh, and increase the resources that are going to the TVET system. Yeah, I'm wondering about the, the kind of, and you talk about quality, right? And that, that goes right back down to basic education and the kind of learners mm. that, were, that were churning out of the system. And I'm, I'm keen to hear from you your views on whether or not you feel like the, the Department of Basic Education is doing enough to try and um, just ensure that that quality is good. Because you do, the last thing you want is 5% of learners in TVID colleges to make it to the end. That's, yeah. that's shocking. So is there enough commitment from the Department of Basic Education? Is it just Department of Basic Education's responsibility? Is there anything that can be done by, say, tertiary institutions? Um, I do think that thing, uh, that the tertiary institutions can uh, and are doing more to bridge the gap between where matric leavers are in terms of their, uh, what they know and can do and where they need to be to succeed at university. So many access programs um, that try to catch students up in the first six months of their, uh, their life at university. Mm. And universities are realizing that's actually mainstream now. We're not talking about a minority of students that need that. That's actually becoming the majority of students that need that. In terms of basic education, I think that um, the way that I'm currently describing it is that we have a, a dire, the situation is dire, but it is improving. Mm. So there is evidence that the education system, the basic education system of primary and secondary schooling, that the quality is improving slowly. So there was a recent uh, international assessment called TIMS uh, that the HSRC uh, oversees. Yeah. Um, and what they found was that our grade nine students uh, know more math and science in 2015 than they did in 2011 and more than they did in 2003. Mm. Uh, now, that's a positive thing. Now, you have to bear that in mind at the same time that we are ranking at the bottom of all the countries that participate. Uh, and we're testing our grade 9 students. All other countries are testing their grade 8 students, just about, just about all the other countries. Mm. I think only three of the 40 countries uh, test their grade 9 students, even though it's a grade 8 test. Mm. Um, so constantly we, we, we're battling with this tension of saying, yes, we do seem to be seeing some positive results. Uh, we have more particularly black students in matric that are getting high-level math and science passes, uh, which is really important uh, for, for the country. Um, and, and we have indications of uh, math and science at the school level, at the high school level, improving. 
So those are all positive signs, and I think the minister does deserve credit for that. Um, but there's still so much that needs to be done in the way of increasing the capacity of teachers, uh, improving accountability. At the moment, there's almost no accountability uh, in the, the basic education system. Uh, and also getting the basics right in the foundation phase, which is grade one to three. I mean, if children are not learning to read for meaning by the end of grade three, they cannot engage with the yeah. curriculum beyond that. Yeah. And we know that 56% of South African grade four kids cannot read for meaning in any language. Mm. Uh, now, now, if you've got that situation, it's just a decoupling of where the, where the child is at and what the curriculum expects from them. And every year they go into a higher grade and a higher grade, the curriculum is steamrolling ahead and their knowledge is just falling further and further behind. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if this is a situation that's, and you can maybe give me a history lesson if, you, if you've got those details. We'll do that when we come back from the break. But if that quality, that quality issue right down at, at you know, foundation or basic education level, right, that you talk about grade four um, and, and before grade four has always been there. So it, has it always been that grade four learners or 56% of them are not, can't read for meaning? And if, if not, then what is it that we've done wrong? If, if we can, you know, maybe tr- start to find where the gaps are. Because I look back on my schooling years and it does, I don't get that feeling that that's what we went through over, what is it, 15 years ago. So along the way, somehow we did something wrong. We need to identify what that is. And then um, I'm going to ask you as well when we come back, doctor, just to talk to us about, you know, maybe speak to young matriculants that are listening and try and appeal to them to, you know, look for other opportunities and not pin their hopes on on, on uh, university institutions. Taking your calls on 0891-104-207. Send your SMSs to 34701. They're charged at just one rand. In tune with Naledi Muleo. For the youth, by the youth. You're still on in tune here on SAFM in conversation with Dr. Nick Spall, an education researcher in the economics department at Stellenbosch University. I'll take your calls on 0891-104-207. Just that question I asked before we went into that break, right? The, the if if the situation of basic education, the challenge there, the challenge of quality is something that's new to South Africa, if so, you know, where where is it that we lost the plot? Is it the curriculum changes? Uh, what what's changed now is there's a much uh, bigger consensus that we shouldn't be focusing on matric as the root cause of our problem and using that as the barometer of the system. I think before, when you when we visit schools, when I talk to foundation phase teachers, I talk to subject advisors, and they say, you know, in the foundation phase, you can do what you like. Uh, I mean, I remember speaking to a subject advisor, and she said, uh, in the foundation phase, if you want to dance, you can dance. Mm. This is basically saying all of the attention and the focus and the resources goes to matric and mm. just before matric, grade 10 and grade 11. Whereas what more and more people are starting to realize is if we don't get the foundations right, that matric actually starts in grade one, and that if we don't ensure those foundations and the trajectory that they're starting on in the foundation phase is the right one, the battle is kind of 75% lost before they leave primary school. Yeah, that's, that's almost good news, right? That says we're awakening to something that we've been ignoring for a really long time and so we're able yes, to yeah. to address the I issue. So. Yeah. We have Warren on the line in Stutterheim. Warren, good evening. Good day. Good Not day. Evening. I, don't... I know you're on the evening Sheesh. program, but good morning. Yeah, good. It's afternoon now. Yeah, good day, Warren. Good day. <laughs> um, my comment is that uh, discipline, and our discipline is needed in schools from the very beginning right through. And it's lacking. I work with teachers a lot in my profession, and mm. I work with pupils, and I've been doing that for 25 years. What do you do? I make clothing. 
Oh, you make clothing, okay. Yes, okay. Otherwise, I can't give too much away. However, discipline is needed. Teachers do their nut in the classrooms. They cannot get these uh, pupils, uh, children, to keep quiet. And they're not allowed to discipline them just enough to get attention and then be able to teach. And I hear this continually from teachers all the time, from the small grades right through to matric. It's discipline, discipline, and that comes from the home because a lot of the homes are broken, so there's only a mother. And I see them when they come into my place. These kids do their, whatever they want, and then you have to, you can't talk to them. You have to talk to them and they say, excuse me, please control your child. Oh, she says, what, what is he doing? And I say, well, look, this is what he's doing, pulling stuff out of the shelves, doing this and doing that. Mm, Warren. So, so Warren says it's all about discipline. Thanks, thanks for calling, Warren. Thanks. Yeah, I'll take more calls. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. Um, you see, the discipline, the discipline discussion is one that I think we could save for another day. But the the issue of teacher skills is an important one, and not just the skills mm. of understanding the content that you're teaching, but the skill of actually being in front of a class of, um, in some cases, fifty, sixty learners, and and trying to do an effective job. How do we get that right now, Doc? I think that what we need to do is make sure that the training opportunities that we're giving to teachers are high-quality training opportunities that have been evaluated and shown to work. So we spent billions of rands on training opportunities and um, training programs for teachers, often short courses, that a lot of people in the sector are saying there's no evidence that these things work or help the teachers. The teachers say, oh, yeah, they're interesting, they're nice, we like the lunch, uh, but they're not actually engaging and, and, and being forced to engage with the content uh, in a way that improves either their content knowledge or their teaching practice. So I think that the, the onus here is on government to evaluate uh, the types of interventions that it's doing rigorously and independently to figure out if it's working mm. um, and then only roll out to scale the ones that actually are working. Yeah. So here I am. I'm one of the 26,000 that has applied to study at Stellenbosch University. And I'm, I'm thinking, OK, so only 4,200 spaces available where should I look for for other options? Where, where should I go? I think that the internet is a uh, is a really um, an incredible resource. But the broader uh, the broader options are, I would say, you have to get your foot in the door somewhere. Um, I mean, I think sitting at, not sitting at home and making sure that even if you're volunteering at a company or you're saying, listen, can I be an intern for three months? And if you like my work ethic and if I'm learning then you can decide if you want to hire me as an intern. But in the beginning, there's no cost to you. Mm. I think that type of a model software um, has the potential to work here for, for kids that aren't getting into TVET colleges and universities. Because at, at the moment, employers, there's a big kind of knowledge, what we call an information asymmetry, between what uh, employers know about a prospective candidate and what the candidate actually, the quality of the candidate. And by, by volunteering like that on a... Um, kind of uh, a non-paying basis, it takes away the risk from the employer. Mm. And in my experience and from speaking to to young people, uh, many people try that and it does work. And it also helps them get into the type of industry or career uh, that they're they're interested in themselves. Yeah. We've been talking um, the foundation phase and we have an experienced pre-primary teacher that's called in, Sherry in the Eastern Cape. Sherry, good afternoon. 
Hello, Naledi. It is Sherry speaking. I'm an experienced specialized pre-primary teacher, mm. retired, now living in the Eastern Cape, working as a full-time volunteer in some of the schools, mm. um, supporting teachers, but also providing teacher training with the backing of an NGO, WordWorks, yeah. which is based in Cape Town, and then also uh, on my own initiative, presenting maths workshops to grade R teachers. Mm. First of all, I'd like to challenge Nick to say schooling doesn't start in grade one. It starts in grade R. Yeah. That's when the real foundation is there. It's almost too late to get grade, grade one pupils in a classroom when they have no skill whatsoever. They've come from very impoverished communities where they've had no exposure whatsoever to any language in terms of formal reading, storybooks, uh, no stationery in their homes, so they've never held pencils. The pre-primary year is the most critical year, I would say. Uh, and obviously I'm biased and prejudiced towards that because I've qualified as a pre-primary teacher. Mm. That's the first. The second is I would agree there's very little accountability. A, a caller phoned earlier in terms of what the pre-primary teachers do. They can, they feel they can sing and dance because very little attention is given. The circumstances under which they teach, the classes are overcrowded, they're under-resourced. The children themselves, I'm, I'm working at one of the schools, there's 55 grade R children in a classroom. It's a small wooden windy house, which is better than most in the Eastern Cape. Mm. And, and of those eight of the 55 are Afrikaans-speaking learners. The language of learning is Afrikaans. The mm. rest are Isikosa. They don't speak a word of English or Afrikaans. The teachers are working under extremely difficult conditions. So that's the second point I want to make. Mm. The third point is in the Eastern Cape, most of the pre-primary teachers are considered early uh, learning practitioners. And if they earn 5,000 rand a month, they're earning a lot. Yeah. It's jolly hard work to teach 55 children mm. for 5,000 rand a month if they get that money. So there are enormous problems in this community. And the last question, the last statement I'd like to make, I volunteered. I've got years and years of, of teaching practice. I taught at a school in, run by some civilian sponsored, I think, by Standard Bank called Tundal Wazi. Yeah. I'm, I'm now working and have worked for over three years in very, very um, challenging classroom conditions. I volunteered my services to the local university to say I'm willing to come in and help you plan workshops that are appropriate for the children that we're teaching. And effectively, I've been given the finger. Mm. So the universities themselves need to go back to the classrooms where the experienced teachers and say what works best under these circumstances. Because the courses that are being provided are, are equipping teachers to move into classrooms for first world standards and we are working at third world in third world classrooms. Yeah. The conditions are definitely not what the textbooks are telling us. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my contribution to this. No, Sherry, the, the thanks discussion. for calling. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a mouthful and all of that is, I think, no one can really disagree with anything you've said. But I just want to actually thank you for your contribution, right? To go and work and then retire and then feel like, no, but there's still work to be done. I'll go back and volunteer my services as something that needs to be applauded. But we need to wrap this up in about 30 seconds, uh, Dr. Spall. Just closing thoughts from you. Yeah, sure. I agree with uh, the caller there. Starting grade R, it even starts before that. It starts in the home with early literacy. In terms of closing thoughts, I think what we need to do is realize right unless we all as a country start focusing on early numeracy and literacy um we're going to be in the same place in 20 years time but there are improvements and and we should be part of those improvements yeah well well, thanks for thanks for speaking to us it's been a pleasure it's an important discussion a difficult one but um we'll keep having it till we see some change dr nick spall an education researcher in the economics department at stellenbosch university